I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. We're beginning with verse number 30. It's so good to be back with you again. For those of you that do not know, I have not been in the pulpit since the very beginning of July. I spoke the very first week and then Pastor Joe stepped in for me and did a wonderful job over these last four weeks and we just thank God for that. Um, Bear with me. I haven't spoken since the first week of July, so it may take me a little while to get back into this, but I'm anxious to share with you just some things that the Lord has laid on my heart. Matthew chapter 26, we're going to begin with verse number 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you, wow, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. All of you. In the Greek, it means all of you. Without exception, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. It is a reminder that we are all at risk of stumbling at any moment. It doesn't matter how tight you believe your relationship with God is. It doesn't matter how strong of a relationship you believe you have with God. All of us are at risk of being offended of Christ and stumbling from Him. It's why the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, Let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if All are made to stumble because of you. I will never be made to stumble. Have you ever noticed that Peter had a propensity of arguing with Jesus? You know you're on shaky ground when you find yourself arguing with the Christ. Arguing with the word of the living God. Peter answered and said, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, Peter, assuredly I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Here he goes again. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. And then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, be James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and he prayed saying, Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
Then he came to the disciples and he found them saying and sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I'd like to share with you for just a few moments in preparation for communion a very simple message entitled Gethsemane, a warning to those living at the end of the age. Our precious Father in heaven, we are living in climatic moments. We are living in days that if for a moment we could see spiritually the clock ticking, it would frighten us. We are living in days of great deception. And if there was ever a time when the church needed to be wide awake, it is right now. Lord, help us to stir ourselves again and come back to the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We cannot afford to be found sleeping at this critical hour. Help us to shake out of our slumber and be alive unto Christ Jesus our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. One more time, would you give the Lord praise in his house here today? Bless God. Amen. And then before you're seated, would you turn to your neighbor and tell him that you love him in Jesus' name. You know, before I dive into this this morning, I, I need to make something very clear, and that is that it is not my desire here this morning in any way, shape, or form to add to, take away from, or in any way distract you, draw your attention away from the sacredness of this very significant moment. In fact, if you have been at Bethel over the last, I would say, eight to ten years, you know that I have consistently brought you to this particular text in order to highlight all that truly happened to obtain our salvation and to provide a covering for our sin against Almighty God. And so I do not want to distract you from that. I do not want to detract you from that. But I do want this morning to share with you a thought that has really been with me all throughout this month as I have read this and reread this and considered once again its significance in the life of the believer. Now many of you know that throughout history there have been many notable acts of betrayal. We could talk about the disgruntled senator and close personal friend of Julius Caesar Uh, that you may know viciously stabbed him to death to save the Roman Republic from what he perceived as a growing threat of dictatorship. We could talk about Julius and Ethel Rosenberg of the United States of America who in 1951 were convicted of high treason serving as spies for Russia during the Cold War. In an attempt to reinstate a Catholic king in England, many of you remember your history, Guy Fox betrayed his Protestant country and teamed up with the Spanish in a failed plot to assassinate King James. 
And of course, Benedict Arnold will forever be a byword for betrayal when he became tired with other officers taking credit for his accomplishments and made the ruthless and even treacherous decision to surrender West Point to the British. We could go on and on. However, beyond the shadow of any doubt, the most infamous betrayal in human history and certainly the one that carried the most far-reaching implications was the night when Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, was betrayed by one of his closest associates, Judas Iscariot. If you're a believer here today, you can barely utter those words without having a bitter taste in your mouth. There is a certain degree of disdain that you feel whenever you speak of Judas. Even his name underscores the betrayal. Judas, many of you know, is a derivative of the Hebrew name Judah, which means God be praised. But on this night, rather than using his life and his faculties and his power to exalt the glories of the Father, Judas will instead sell out the Father's only begotten Son for 30 pieces of silver. What is more shocking to me is that on a daily basis, we sell out Jesus for less than that. Some of us have sold out Jesus for entertainment. Some of us have sold out Jesus for pleasure. Some of us have sold out Jesus for one night of passion. Some of us have sold out Jesus to be with the woman we want to be with, the man that we want to be with. So before you start judging Judas, just consider how many times on a regular basis you sell out Christ for less than what he did. Can I hear an amen? You probably are going to want Pastor Joe back up here before the service is over. What makes this betrayal so unfathomable is who was betrayed. This was the Son of God. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. The Lamb of God slain in the heart of the Father before the foundations were even established. This was not a Caesar. This was not a political figure. This was not a king. This was the King of kings, the Lord of lords. This is the one that has been highly exalted, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and has been given a name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and attest to the fact that there is no one like our God, Jesus Christ. What makes this betrayal so devious is who betrayed him. He wasn't betrayed by an enemy. You can't be betrayed by an enemy. He was not betrayed by a casual acquaintance, a fair-weathered friend. He was not betrayed by a friend that he had scorned. He was betrayed by one who for three and a half years had sat at the table of Christ breaking bread with him who for three and a half years had ministered alongside him, talked with him, watched him perform miracles, raised the dead back to life again, and set the captive free. And even on occasion, he would hear demons coming out of men and women, and in a shrill voice crying out, What have you come here for? Son of man, we know who you are. What makes this betrayal so unthinkable is where it took place. It didn't take place 
in a smoke-filled room in the back of a restaurant. It didn't take place in a secret, dimly lit, shadowy alley. It happened in the upper room. It happened while celebrating the Passover feast. It happened in an intimate setting of prayer in a garden. And it happened amidst multiple warnings from Christ himself that all of them were in danger of falling away that night. But all of those warnings were quickly dismissed, though Jesus had never been wrong on anything he predicted before. What makes this betrayal so unconscionable is how it was sealed It was sealed with a kiss. And I know that in today's culture, we don't understand that, but you do need to recognize that in that day, it was the warmest of greetings. There was nothing sexual about it at all. Men would routinely kiss other men. Ladies would routinely kiss other ladies. It was a symbol of closeness. It was a sign of friendship, of affection, of fondness, of a special bond. And you would do it publicly because you wanted to declare that this was a close and personal and intimate friend. So of all the ways that the betrayal could have gone down, it went down with a kiss. Even Christ himself was shocked at the treachery of that, turning to Judas and said, Really? You would betray me with a kiss? And what makes this betrayal and this desertion so alarming this morning is when you come to the sobering realization that this could happen to any one of us sitting here today. You see... There is something that Jesus said in our text this morning that inextricably links it to you and me living in August 2018. The Bible says that Jesus came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray Lest you enter into temptation, here it is, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And there is not one of us in this room that is exempt from that, because 2,000 years later, our spirits may indeed be willing, but our flesh is hopelessly weak. What was true of the disciples 2,000 years ago is true of every one of us this morning. And that is that no matter how good our intentions may be of following through and going all the way with God, our flesh is weak and apart from His intervention, your willpower cannot get the job done. The reason that we should find this word so alarming is that just a couple of days before, if you know the layout of Scripture, a couple of days before this night, on the same mountain, the Mount of Olives, Jesus had been speaking to his disciples about the days prior to his second coming. So he was talking about our day with the disciples. And listen to what he says. It's recorded in Luke 21. He says, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing. Do you know that even Christians can carouse? We can run with the wrong crowd, folks. 
We can hang out with men and women who are not helping us in our walk with God. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, with drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, come on you unexpectedly. So Jesus saw that it was within the realm of possibility that disciples could be caught in the day of judgment unaware. For it will come as a snare on all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Almost identical to what he said in the garden, speaking to you and I living in the last days. He said to his disciples, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Now he's warning all of us in the same way. Watch and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. And with these words, Jesus is introducing us to the dreadful possibility of being carried away from the Lord in the spirit of the age. Jesus made it clear that we can allow our hearts to become drunk and intoxicated with the cares of this life. Where we literally spend so much time thinking about the world that we live in that we become intoxicated and we don't even realize what time it is. And how close we are to the verge of God's final judgment. And as you read this, you cannot help but see the prophetic link between what was happening in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that Jesus was betrayed 2,000 years ago and what is happening in this present darkness that we're dealing with this morning and the falling away that Jesus spoke of that would occur right before His second coming. There is a link and we need to see it. Because at a time when the church needs to be found wide awake, when we need to be sensitive to the times that we are living in, when we need to be praying always and without ceasing, by and large, just as Christ found the disciples in that critical hour, the church is sleeping. We're sleeping. We are more intoxicated with politics than we are with purity. We are more intoxicated with entertainment than we are in being temples of the Holy Spirit of the living God to move through in Jesus' name. The challenge that is facing us this morning is no different than the one that was facing the disciples that night. We can't stay awake. Now listen, I know this is going to be a tough message. It is, and you can already tell that, okay? But you know, I want to, I want you to understand that even as I was sitting there this morning and we were worshiping, I, I get it. Listen, when you're tired, when you're worn out, what do you want to do? You want to sleep. And we're in a fight, folks. And we are fighting against an enemy that will not relent. And we're tired. But that's why once a week we get to the house of God and say, wake up, wake up, wake up. Because we cannot fall into a slumber in this hour. In Jesus' name. I'm an alarm clock every Sunday morning. And there's no snooze on this clock, okay? That night in the garden, spiritual darkness was pressing down on the Savior. 
Jesus himself recognized that. He said in Luke 22, in verse 53, to those who had come out to arrest him, why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every single day. But listen to what he says. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. Isn't that interesting? Jesus understood that in order to get to the cross, there was going to have to be a season where it looked like the enemy was winning. And oftentimes in our journey, you better realize that before you get to your breakthrough and to your victory, that there are going to be long seasons where it appears that the enemy is winning the battle, but thank God he's already won the war. Can you say amen to that in Jesus' name? Bible tells us, we read it a moment ago, that Jesus began to be grieved and greatly distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved so that I am almost dying of sorrow. Stay here and stay awake and keep watch with me. Jesus was trying to instill within the hearts of his disciples a sense of urgency. Don't you understand what's at stake? Don't you understand what's happening? In just a matter of hours, all hell is literally going to break out. And he's trying to instill a sense of urgency within their heart. Jesus could feel the forces of darkness pressing down upon him, pressuring him to give up, to assert his own will, to refuse to go to the cross. But Jesus is determined, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And recognizing the severity of this moment, he did everything he could to warn them of what was coming. Even taking the time in the upper room to tell them that Satan had asked for them that he might sift them like wheat. In Luke 22, it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail, so when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. He said, make no mistake about it, each one of you have been asked for by Satan. And his desire is to sift you like wheat, to beat you, to break you down. He told them in the upper room, one of you is actually going to betray me. And they all began to ask each other, and even Christ, is it I? Is it I? But then they shared communion, they sang a hymn, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when they get there, Jesus again warns them. He says, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And Peter said, listen, Jesus, I know what you said, but I know better. He says, if everyone denies you, I'm not going to deny you. And not to be outdone by Peter, they all said, we're never going to deny you. But no sooner did Jesus leave them to pray, he comes back an hour later, and they're sound asleep. And not long after that, they would all forsake him. And as I meditated on that, I don't know why this story, of all the stories in Scripture, this is the one that I could not shake free from all this month. And as I waited on the Lord, I I saw this as a snapshot of the falling away that Jesus said would happen prior to his second coming. That Gethsemane is literally being played out in 2018. 
The Bible makes it very clear that there is going to be a great falling away from the faith. I'm not just making this up. The Apostle Paul wrote extensively about it. One place he said it clearly was in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3. He says, let no one deceive you by any means for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first, the desertion. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So even the Apostle Paul said that the day of judgment, the day of the second coming of Christ, will not come until there is a great falling away from the faith. Now again, he will speak of this often, but one that I would like to note for you today is in 1 Timothy 4 and verse number 1, where he says, now the Spirit, and that's capitalized because he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now the reason that I have always found that particular scripture fascinating is because he tells us that the falling away from the faith is going to happen within a religious context. It's not going to be a blatant falling away. It's not going to be millions of Christians just one day getting up and saying, you know what, forget this. I don't believe it anymore. I'm not going to practice it anymore. No, no, no. It's going to be much more subtle than that. They're going to keep coming to churches and hearing doctrines, but they're going to be doctrines of demons. They're going to continue to come to houses of worship and they're going to feel a spirit, but it's going to be a deceiving spirit that is lulling them into spiritual darkness so that they will not recognize that their soul is not right with God. The falling away is going to happen within a spiritual or a religious context. They are going to continue to go to the house to worship. They're going to take communion. They're going to make confessions. They're going to hear sermons and warnings. And they are going to pray and seek God. But all the time that they're going through the motions, their hearts are going to be growing colder and colder and indifferent toward the real things of Almighty God. And this is what is so sad to me, is that this is not something something that is coming, it is something that has already started. We're not waiting for this to happen. It's happening right now. As men and women pour into churches that have abandoned the gospel of Jesus Christ and are now preaching a simple social gospel. Folks, we've got to wake up. We've got to wake up. Can somebody say amen? Stir our hearts again, Lord. Our hearts burn with passion for the things of God. Spiritual darkness is all around and the evidence of that is staggering. The enemy is approaching. And as he steadily approached, Jesus has said to us that he has come for no other reason than to steal, to kill, and to destroy. As we read a moment ago, he warned us to take heed to ourselves, to lest our hearts be weighed down with carousing, with drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. He warned us again in Matthew 24, saying, then they will deliver you, disciples, up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. 
And you, you immediately say, well, why are they offended? They're offended because they're going to be delivered up to tribulation and be killed. Because they are hated by all nations for his name's sake. They've been burned out on a gospel that told them, if you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, everybody will love you. You will be popular. Everybody loves Jesus. If you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to get everything that your heart ever desired. You're going to have all the fun and the joy and the prosperity that you can ever handle. And then all of a sudden, when they're being delivered, up to prisons and they are hated for keeping the gospel of Jesus Christ at the forefront they're going to get offended and say wait a minute you never told me that Jesus was going to make me go through the valley of the shadow of death And they're going to be offended. And then false prophets are going to step right into the vacuum. And they're going to tell them what they want to hear. A lawless gospel where you can live any way you want to live. And you don't have to live by any laws and restraint. And the Bible says right there. Because lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold. And the same thing is happening right now in the body of Christ. You tell anybody, no, you've got to live this way. They say, who are you to tell me how to live? I am going to live by grace. You don't have a right to tell me how to live. Honey, let me tell you something. He is the king, and that means he's got a kingdom, and that means he's got laws, and you've got to live by him. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on. He tells us they're going to go to church. They're going to sing songs. They're going to take communion. They're going to hear the word of the Lord. They're going to pray. They're going to make confessions. They're going to leave saying, I love my church. But sadly, they're going to go right back home after the service without any change because no transformation. Paul said it this way. They'll have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power thereof. If you hear nothing else I say today, remember that the falling away of the disciples took place in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night they shared communion with their Savior. And that is where many of us are today. The same self-deception that filled the disciples that night where they could say, I'll never depart from you. It's the same self-deception that has fallen on many of us. The same carelessness with which they handled the warnings that Jesus gave. It's the same carelessness that you see in the church today. That could never happen to me. I love Jesus. Pour me another one. Oh, man. People are not falling away in the pubs. They're falling away in the pews. They're not falling away with wine and women. They're falling away while they're worshiping. They're falling away, not doing drugs, but while they're declaring their love for Jesus. You're falling away in the garden long before You fall away to gossip. And all it takes is a little pressure to see where you're at. Many of you know that Gethsemane housed an olive press. They harvested olives there. 
and they would bring them to the press and apply the pressure to extract the oil. Jesus and the disciples were being pressed down that day to see what was really inside. And you never know what's in a man or a woman until pressure is applied. And then we see, are you going to cry out, nevertheless, not your will but mine, or will you fall asleep, or yours? We go through the motions, we say the right things, we do the religious things, but our hearts are far from the Lord. I know you're committed right now, right now, but I want to know if you're committed an hour from now. I know you're declaring your love for Jesus right now. I just want to know, is he going to show up at the workplace with you tomorrow? That's, that's what I, that's, like, what are you going to be doing in an hour? In an hour, how are you going to be talking to your husband? In an hour, how are you going to be talking to your wife? In an hour, how are you going to be treating your children? How are you going to be treating your mom and dad? That's what I want to know. I'm not interested in what we're doing in here. I mean, I'm thankful that we have our times together. But listen, folks, you can fake anybody for an hour and a half. I just want to know, how are you living out there? Are you going all the way? Are you cheating on Christ? Why are we falling away at such an alarming rate for the same reason the disciples did that night? We're not watching and we're not praying. And why do we need to watch and pray? Because Jesus said, though our spirit is willing, our flesh is weak. Jesus was saying to them, the problem is not desire here. The problem has never been desire. I know that you guys do not want to fail me. But your flesh is weaker than you could ever possibly imagine. And willpower will not carry you. The problem here today is not desire. I know that there's no one here, at least that has any sense of the presence of God, that wants to deny him, that wants to abandon him. No one. The desire is there to live a godly life, but your flesh is weaker than you could ever imagine. And the difference between your flesh and fulfilling the promise, the, the, the ways of God, the difference between that is not rectified through church attendance. It's not rectified by communion we're going to take in a moment. It's not rectified by worship and confessions and altar calls and and having people pray over you. It is only made up through watching and praying. There's no shortcuts. And a lot of us think, if I can just get to church, if I can just take communion, if pastor can just lay his hands on me, then everything will be all right. And he says, no, no, no. It's not those things that set you free. It's watching and praying. It's watching and praying. There's no shortcut around this. I hear people all the time saying, I don't understand it. You know, whenever I feel weak, I turn on K-Love and sometimes I feel worse. Let me tell you, K-Love cannot set you free. You can listen. Listen, there's nobody in this church that loves worship more than me. But I have learned the hard way that you can sing the songs down and still run off and cheat on Christ afterwards. It's prayer and watching. 
watching is being vigilant. Vigilant. You know, what's sad is that that is a word that we used to use a lot more not long ago. We don't hear much about it anymore. Remember, and like, it's hard to believe that there's some even here among us have no memory of 9-11. But for those of us that live through the horror of 9-11, you know that in the months and maybe even the first couple of years after 9-11, what did we hear all the time? Be vigilant. Be vigilant. Be vigilant. Because we didn't know when the next attack was coming. And so it was just drilled into our vocabulary. Be vigilant. You would never go to an airport with a careless attitude. You were always suspicious. We were vigilant. We were watching for anything. That's the idea here. It's being vigilant. We don't hear anything about that anymore. Why? Because the threat has appeared to go away. And that's how some of you, you know, the enemy has an attack for a while. You know, maybe, maybe he's not coming back. Good luck with that, folks, because he is coming back. He always comes back. He's always looking for a more opportune moment. It's being vigilant. It's being cautious. It's recognizing I can't live my life any way I want to. I can't just go and do whatever I want to do and say whatever I want to say and spend any way that I want to spend. I want to be cautious. It means giving strict attention. It is being attentive, expecting sudden calamity. And this is what Jesus was saying to them. I just told you that all of you are going to be offended. He says, I want you to expect a sudden attack. I want you to be vigilant. I want you to be cautious. I want you to give strict attention to your heart. That word, watch, is used 23 times in the New Testament. And 17 of those times, it's used in conjunction with temptation and with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is simply saying, suddenly, I'm going to come again. Suddenly, the attack is going to come. Be vigilant. Be cautious. Give strict attention. Be expecting because I'm coming in an hour when no one knows. Be ready. Be awake. It's watching your life. It's guarding your heart. It's being fully aware that even now a satanic snare is being set for your feet. And without careful, discerning, Holy Spirit attention, you will fall. But we have to watch and pray. Pastor Joe talked about prayer last week. Prayer is the absolute dependence upon the Lord. It is the full recognition that even though I am willing to go all the way with God, I cannot do it in my own strength. And if I do not get a hold of God today, I will fail. Are you that desperate for the presence of God? I read this just the other day, 1 Peter 4, verse number 7. I, I don't even think it's in my PowerPoint there. Listen to what Peter says. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Wow. If, it was, if the end was at hand when Peter wrote this, 
how much more at hand is the coming of the Lord now, 2,000 years later? And knowing that, we're to be serious and watchful in our prayers, which means that when we pray, we are serious. This is not a time to be praying for television sets, folks. This is not a time to be praying for a new kitchen. This is not a time to be praying, oh Lord, just help us sock away enough money so that I can retire. This is not a time to be praying selfish prayers. It's time to be serious. We have sons and daughters that are lost and going to hell. We have family members that are one breath away from eternity separated from God. We have a real enemy that is bent on the destruction of your home, of your family. We need to be serious in our prayer. Say, God, open up my eyes to see the lateness of this hour. Keep my soul pure. Keep me alert. Keep me discerning. Because I don't know what you know. And I don't want to take what you say for granted in Jesus' name. We need to be awake, folks. You know, some of you may, as I'm going through this today, just sense I'm not awake. And I, I hope, you know, it took me this whole month to recognize the areas that I have slept and I've slumbered. You know, we just take life so for granted. And it's hard to admit, I'm not where I think I am. But some of you may feel asleep and you're like, what do I do now? Well, I want to remind you what Jesus said to the disciples in the upper room. He knew they were going to fail. He knew the pride and the arrogance of their heart. But what did he say to them? He says, even though Satan has asked for you, that he could sift you like wheat, you need to know that I'm praying for you, that your faith would not fail. How many of you are glad that even when you're poised and ready to fail, he's still praying for you? Come on. Satan may be asking for you, but Jesus is praying for you. He's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you that your faith would not fail. Aren't you glad that you can fail and still hold on to your faith and say, I may have failed, but I can get back up again in Jesus' mighty name. Bless God, bless God. And I love what he says. He says, and when you repent, you'll turn back to me and strengthen your brethren. Even when you failed, God has not given up on you. And he still has a plan for your life. It's never too late. But we got to come back. We need to come back. In Jesus' mighty name. And that's why we take communion. To come back. And say, Lord, wake up this tired soul. Get me back to a state of vigilance. Where Christ is my all in all. In Jesus' name. I'd like to have every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask the elders, the deacons, the pastors, if they would just prepare. We're going to take communion. For those of you who maybe are just joining us this morning, you, you need to know that we believe in an open communion which is to say that 
If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you are free to take communion with us today. We're thankful that the kingdom of God is bigger and broader than any one church. There's some great churches that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're saved and you're just visiting us today, you are free to receive this. But the only thing that we ask is that you take a communion in the way that is prescribed in Scripture for us. The heads are bowed, eyes are closed. This is what Paul said. It says, Wherefore, whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthy, in an unworthy manner, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and then drink of the cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And it is for this cause that many are weak and sickly among you, and many have even died prematurely. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And even when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. I would just ask as we bow our heads and as the elements are being distributed that you just would shut yourself in with the Lord here and you would just say search me O God you would just say Lord you know the depths of my heart if there is anything if I have fallen asleep if I have grown weary and allowed slumber to come upon me Lord, I stir myself up in the presence of the Lord today. I want to be alive, O Christ. Let us not have the heart of a Judas betraying our Christ, but may we have the heart of Christ who says, in spite of all that's going on, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. In Jesus' name. So just take that time. Brothers, would you come? Let's just keep our hearts tender to the Lord. Say, search me.